The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, spouse and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even their life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not give up all their possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. If you've been listening to the Gospel for the last month or so, we've heard some pretty hard sayings by Jesus. Three weeks ago from Luke chapter 12, we heard Jesus saying, I have come to bring fire to the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. Do you think that I have come to bring peace? No, I tell you, rather division. That was three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Today we hear another harsh statement, perhaps the harshest of all. Whoever comes to me and does not hate their father and mother and all of the other relations within the family cannot be my disciple. So what's going on here? How are we to interpret these statements? Well, let me suggest we put them in a particular context. In our own lives, I think we've all experienced falling in love. For those of us who have experienced that, we know what a powerful and wonderful experience it is and how everything changes. That when we are in a relationship with our beloved, there is nothing too hard. In fact, what we want above all else is to be in the presence of the beloved, our beloved. And if we get even a hint that the beloved wishes something, what does the lover do? They make it happen. And it's not as though it's an obligation or something that they have to sacrifice for. Rather, it's a joy. It's a joy for the lover to make the beloved joyful as well. That's the context, really, where we need to look at these statements. So let's go back and read these statements again in the context of love, absolute love, as regards us and God, because that's what really these readings are about. So three weeks ago, Jesus says, I've come to bring fire to the earth. I wish it would already kindled. Now, with lovers, that's already kindled. They're on fire for each other. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be that fire, to be alive, 
in our relationship with God. Let's look at the reading from two weeks ago, Strive to Enter the Narrow Door. Well, again, for lovers, all they want to do is be in the presence of the beloved. So if the door is a bit narrow, they get through, even if it means taking the door off the hinges. Whatever it takes, it's not as if they have to strive or some kind of, oh, do I really have to, obligation. No, this is a great joy to enter through that door and be in the presence of the beloved. The Gospel today has a really harsh statement, but let's again look at the language in the context of love. In the Semitic languages of the day, there wasn't really a proper word for prefer. And so what would happen is that, especially in the biblical language, it would be framed in terms of loving one thing and hating another. But what it really means is preferring one over the other, even if the one is very, very good and the other is just good. Now, let me give you just one example of that in the Bible. The first book, Genesis, remember that story where Jacob falls head over heels in love with Rachel. But his father-in-law knows that he has an older daughter, Leah, who should be married first. And he tricks Jacob into marrying first Leah. Unusual circumstances, but that's what happened. When Jacob finds out, he's willing to work another seven years for his father-in-law in order to have that marriage with his beloved Rachel. But here's the language that is used. And let me quote from Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 29. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. There's the preference. And he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. So even God is using that language, but it really means not because for us, Hatred means like wishing evil on something or someone else. Here, right in the context, yes, Jacob loved Rachel, but he didn't hate in terms of wishing Leah evil. He preferred much more Rachel. But it's expressed in that language. It's the same here in today's gospel, which means that as regards our relationship with God, and this is the point. We are to put ourselves in that context that we are in a spousal relationship, head over heels in love with God. And in that sense, we can't allow anything to take preference over that. Notice that Jesus, in today's gospel, puts it in relation to family life. And he lists all of the different relations and says, unless you hate those people, and prefer me, you can't be my disciple. Now, why does he do that? Because family life, as you know, there can be temptations there. If we're not head over heels in love with God, we will be in love with something else or someone else. And usually it's family, rightly so. But the danger is that if we prefer or love even family members ahead of God, Bad things can happen. Let me just give you a couple of examples. One from 
recent news that we all heard about at the time, an unfortunate incident, where dozens of parents concocted an elaborate cheating scheme to get their children into the best colleges in the U.S. It included bribing SAT test monitors to allow experts to sit in and write the test for their children, and bribing coaches to fake athletic scholarships for students who never played the sport. When it was found out, it made all the papers and the press big scandal. But for those parents, God took second place to their children's careers. That's the danger. There are many other examples, many that don't make the press, including parents trying to dissuade their children's decision to enter religious life because they want the family name continued. But let me now expand it to not just family, but friends. Do we prefer God over our friends? For example, you're at a party with friends, and you want to make a good impression. You join the conversation, but unfortunately the conversation involves another person, and it's negative, it's critical, there's gossip going on. And you have a juicy tidbit that you can easily throw into the conversation, but you realize you're in a love relationship with God, and that would be displeasing to your beloved. And so you resist. And then at night you can sleep because that relationship with God is intact and your conscience is at peace. How often do we fail in that? Because we preferred being well-liked by friends and we toss in gossip just without thinking. Let me give you an example, though, of one person who did not prefer friends over his relationship with God. It's in our second reading from Philemon, verses 9 to 10. Really tell the story of St. Paul who was in prison with a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. How the two ended up there, we're not sure, but in prison, Paul must have converted Onesimus, this runaway slave. Just tells you something about St. Paul, wherever he is, even in prison, he's evangelizing. But he managed to convert this runaway slave. But he knew the runaway slave's owner, which was Philemon. So he writes a letter to Philemon, his good friend, and he says, I'm appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. He wants, of course, Philemon to free Onesimus from that slavery. Here's how he ends that letter that we have in today's second reading. So if, if you consider me to be your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. The implication is he's putting his friendship on the line with Philemon for the sake of justice, which is his duty to God. He's put God ahead of his friendship. He's risked it anyway. Well, the second hard saying in today's gospel is no less easy. If you want to be my disciples, Jesus says, sell all your possessions. Now, of course, he's saying that not because possessions are necessarily bad. We can have a lot of possessions. The problem is when they start possessing us and we find our security in them and our comfort, our hope in that possession, 
or that bank account or whatever. And that's what happened with the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, you know, I'm keeping all the commandments, but I still feel something is lacking. How do I gain eternal life? And Jesus knew his heart and said, sell everything you have, then come follow me. And it was too hard. He preferred his possessions over Christ and went away very sad. The bottom line is today's readings are joyful for a person in love. And we're called to make sure our love relationship is intact. Just one practical example at the end of this homily. Even though we are in love with God, we can always slip and maybe fall out of love and allow other things to be preferred. So the easy solution to that is to make sure every day we have 10 minutes in the morning. Before we get up to our busy day, we spend some time with our beloved. Because what do lovers do? They want to be in each other's presence. They want to know each other more closely. And Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, has given us the scriptures, these love letters. So let us take that time in the morning to pray, even 10 minutes. And then at the end of the day, 10 minutes. We give God the first and the last. Finally, giving up all our possessions. We might think, you know, I worked hard for that money. It's, it belongs to me. I have a right to it. Of course, the difficulty is our ability to work for that money and the time we had to do it, they're all gifts from God. So it all belongs to God, 100%. But our God is very generous. And he says, even though 100% belongs to me, you can keep 90%. Just give me the 10%. Which was what was said in the Old Testament. And Jesus in the New Testament doesn't really roll that back. The implication is that's the bare minimum. What do we prefer about God? We are in love. We do anything to deepen our love and make our spouse joyful.